nostalgia. So good. So good. Welcome to Horror Comics. Number 12. 12. Here we are already. 11 took so long to get here. And I've already landed on 12 as of right now. And I'm saying that before I even dig into the reading of what we're going to do. Which I'm going to get into uh, shortly. This is a little bit more to the point. So, you know. We'll see how it goes, and I hope you all enjoy it, uh, and I'll explain in just a moment. But first first and foremost, I wanted to um, plug something, and it's not a sponsor. It's not uh, an ad. It's something that I'm happy to talk about because uh, Anthony is – he actively supports this show. Uh, He always interacts on Twitter – um, and has sent in show mail, uh, back in March, I believe he sent in a show mail, uh, very well detailed that led to a lot of kind of contemplation and sort of changing of the way, uh, or my decision rather like uh, to change kind of the way the show could go here and there. And, uh, it was an awesome email and awesome conversation. And, um, that Anthony's just a great dude all around. And before I get into this plug, I, you can you can find Anthony uh, on Twitter, which is where we interact together uh, at a n t underscore Cleveland. Follow him because I I have a feeling based off of the things that I've seen from him, this is someone you want to pay attention to, and that goes into this plug. Now I'm going to go back and after we go through what's coming. I'll, I'll dig into this publisher a little bit more, but from Mad Cave, we've got a new series announcement, Show's End, and here's the here's their promo. It's the all-new supernatural drama from Mad Cave Studios. Outcasts, rejects, pariahs, freaks, all are welcome at Daxton Rickles' world-famous circus of oddities and curiosities. Mad Cave Studios brings you Show's End, the very first limited series by two of last year's talent contest winners, written by Anthony Cleveland, congratulations, bro, and illustrated by Jefferson Sadzinski. Shows In takes place in Georgia circa the late 1920s. Colorist Julian Gonzalez of Battle Cats and letterer Justin Birch, Knights of the Golden Sun, round out the creative team who helped bring to life the story of Lorelei, I hope I'm saying that right. A 12-year-old girl seeking refuge with a traveling freak show, struggling to keep their spectacle and lives afloat. The new series shows end available soon. And there's some preview pages here. Uh, images, obviously, that you can't see. But uh, it sounds like a really cool concept here. Um, Anthony, I don't want to go into too much detail because I don't know what you know the creative team wants put out there are held to the vest, but uh, compared, I say compared, not compared, but it seems like there's a lot of influence from uh, the kind of Todd Browning circus freak type movies and some uh, Lovecraft and uh, Ray Bradbury influences in there, and you've got me hooked already. So uh, take my money. I'm, I'll, I'll take everything of that you got. So hand it over. And the the pages of preview that were in that promotional little deal there that I saw um, look great. So I can't wait to uh, to get into this and, and read the series. And 
Uh, hopefully we get to talk to Anthony a little bit more in depth here in the near future about this series. But yeah, go check out Anthony again at A-N-T underscore C-L-E-V-E-L-A-N-D on Twitter. And he posted actually, uh, I mean, a link of <laughs> a never before, uh, never before published um, horror comic anthology that it, he, I'm guessing he wrote, I don't know if Anthony, if you did the art for it too, let me know. But he just says, here's my never before published horror comic anthology. And uh, it looks great. And uh, the lettering is really cool. And I, I'm, you know, I, I, <laughs> I have actually downloaded the link. I haven't read the full, as of right now, I have not read the full uh, comic as of yet. I've been uh, a little tied up with <laughs> preparing for this podcast and a few other things here and there, but I've got it in the queue. It's coming up next, and I often take breaks when recording these episodes, and you know, in between those, I might come back later in this episode and say, hey, holy shit, you gotta go get this now, but I'm actually gonna go ahead and tell you to go get it now anyway, so go check it out. But uh, yeah, Anthony, dude, keep congratulations first of all on being published uh second of all keep doing it man fucking keep on going and give us some some of that great juicy bloody horror content that we love so much so uh, again in the future hopefully we'll get to talk to anthony and talk about his comic upcoming uh upcoming book here because that's really exciting so uh yeah so so mad cave the publisher that's going to be putting this book out Mad Cave Studios was founded in 2014 by Mark London. Flagship titles are Battle Cats, Midnight Task Force, Knights of the Golden Sun, and Honor and Curse, uh, all distributed by Diamond Comic Distributors. And obviously, Show's End is coming up in uh, scheduled for August. So, again, can't wait to see that. Uh, you can find Mad Cave Studios books on Comixology and Drive Through Comics. Now, for this episode, I laid it out a little bit um, in episode 11, but, okay, so Tales Too Terrible to Tell, published by New England Comics Press, or NEC, they had 11 issues of a bunch of, I mean, pretty much forgotten pre-code horror comics. I mean, there are titles that if you're if you're deep in this world you'll know the title of the of the book that these stories come from but you're not getting the you're not getting the full you know issue of that book in each of these it's it's a story from a bunch of different books you know so you'll get say yeah maybe 10 stories or something like that um from a bunch of different books collected here and uh, it's really cool. There's a bunch of different pages of kind of uh, thoughts on the story itself and the series and a little bit just, you know, kind of cool trivia information. But what they did is something that I thought was cool. And it's called Terrorology. And that is what I'm going to be reading here. And it starts off. So, yes, I guess a disclaimer. I'm not covering any any comics here, any stories necessarily. I'm going more into the history here. Um, and it starts as a history of, you know, this book forming, but that goes into horror comics and pre-code comics itself. And it's just kind of a deep dive into, you know, a lot of that. So I thought I've, I've gotten messages and comments here and there about, uh, how much people like hearing about the history and whatnot. And so here we go. Oh, <laughs> this is a deep dive of it. Um, so in 
And we were starting from Tales Too Terrible to Tell, number one. So it's the first chapter of Terrorology, and it's titled, In the Beginning. Tales Too Terrible to Tell, as a title, is a self-contradiction as well as an alliteration. After all, we are telling these tales, aren't we? And they really aren't all that terrible by the contemporary standards of an audience accustomed to movies like Friday the 13th and books like those of Stephen King. Uh, No, this book has been published by NEC for fun and as a tribute to a comic book genre beloved by a select circle of fans, but only just recently becoming known to the comic collecting masses, the pre-code horror comics of the 1950s. Terrorology is the name of an index slash collector's guide to these comics, which will be written by me and published by NEC sometime in the next couple of years. This book will be a complete and detailed review of every horror comic published prior to the advent of the Comics Code in 1955. Terrorology will be compiled via direct access to copies of every such comic and will, I hope, include hundreds of full-color cover repros as well as representative interior art. This work will be intended as a scholarly examination of an important period in the history of the development of the comic book. While accessible by all, Terrorology will be specifically targeted toward the serious collector slash fan of pre-code horror. In the meantime, while this book comes out every three months or so, Terrorology will appear as the title of a column in which I will attempt to provide the general comic reader with some basic background and information about the fascinating world of 1950s horror comics. The stories in this book, except the Tick tale, of course, have been reproduced from original art purchased by me at comic conventions over the last few years. Fortunately, a fair amount of such artwork survived the collapse of many comic publishers in the mid-1950s. The stories presented were originally published in the comic books with titles like Weird Mysteries, Mr. Mystery, Weird Chills, and Strange Mysteries. Our legal research indicates that all these stories are now in the public domain. This is why we've reproduced them here. NEC Press is interested in providing recognition of artistic credits for these stories. Anyone with such information or anyone with direct involvement with their actual production is encouraged to contact us. We are also interested in talking to anyone who has original art from 1950s horror comics. While we plan to include a greater number of original stories in future issues of this book, we can always make use of more printable reprint stuff. Are these stories typical of what was published during the heyday of horror in the middle of this century? Probably. Like in almost any field of endeavor, the average product was of pretty average quality. Certainly, companies like EC, Avon, St. John, Standard, Charlton, Atlas, and others produced some super work by masters like Jack Davis, Graham Ingalls, Alex Toth, Joe Kubert, Bob Powell, Reed Crandall, Basil Wolverton, Bill Everett, Matt Baker, Howard Nostrand, A.C. Hollingsworth, George Rousos, Johnny Craig, Steve Ditko, Lou Cameron, Bernie Kriegstein, or Kriegstein, or however you say that. I don't, I'm terrible with names. Bill Benulis, and many more. If we obtain such artwork and work out the legalities involved, we hope to present examples of the very best of 1950s horror in future issues of this book. Now, I should, I should have said this before, but I'm saying this book in place of saying the entire title of uh, this Tales Too Terrible to Tell. In the meantime, this column will attempt to give you a taste of the variety of horror comics produced in the 1950s. 
What fascinates me most about this era in the history of comics is the phenomenal explosion in popularity of a brand new comic book genre. In the five years between January of 1950 and January of 1955, over two dozen companies produced 2,500 different comics scattered across more than 100 titles. This averages 40 different horror comics per month. During the peak years of 1953 and 1954, the typical monthly output approached 80 to 100 different magazines every 30 days. This is more than the average output of the entire comics industry today, just in horror comics. Don't forget that while horror comics were very popular in 1953, the newsstands were also heavily stocked with crime comics, romance comics, war comics, western comics, teen humor comics, funny animal comics, superhero comics, and a large variety of other types. However, the horror comic genre dominated the marketplace, and virtually every publisher except Dell, Donald Duck and Co., responded to the immense demand by adding a horror title to its lineup. However, the horror comic genre contained the seed of its own demise. With such an immense number of publications appearing monthly, it was inevitable that the all-consuming demand for new product drained writers and artists of plots and ideas and resulted in the substitution of excessive gore and uncontrollable shock effects for originality in their work. The result was national outrage directed against comics publishers fueled by the publication of a controversial book, Seduction of the Innocent, but by a psychiatrist, Dr. Frederick Bertham, which purported to demonstrate that crime and horror comics contributed to juvenile delinquency among youngsters. The comics publishers, threatened with government control, responded by voluntarily creating a self-censorship organization, the Comics Code Authority, which we've talked about before, whose first act was to issue standards which effectively eliminated horror comics. The comics industry was assailed by the resulting negative publicity and many publishers completely depended on their lines of horror and crime comics for survival folded up. The Comics Code Authority still exists today, although its influence is negligible at best. Marvel, the number one publisher in the business, didn't even bother for a time to present the Comics Code seal of approval on its covers. Back in 1955, the only way to get a comic book to the newsstand was to display the seal very prominently. In fact, publishers who were notorious past offenders like EC failed to get their comics distributed even when they did bear the seal. So ended, for better or worse, the fascinating era in the history of comics. Before I start this next paragraph, I should note that this series, this book, Tales Too Terrible to Tell, uh, from what I've got, this is a second printing, and this is in uh, May slash June of 1993. Um, I've talked before about when this series actually came out. I believe it was 89, December of 89. It was the December of 89 and January of 1990, I believe, was the first issue that this came out. So, we're you know, we're obviously some years off. So when did the horror comics phenomenon begin? A definitive answer depends on one's definition of horror comic. Horror, as an aspect of comic book storytelling, can be traced all the way back to the birth of the comic book medium itself. In the 1940s, even patriotic characters like Captain America and Captain Marvel regularly confronted mad Nazi doctors and insane Japanese scientists whose stock in trade was the eerie and frightful. Characters like Dr. Occult and Fu Manchu Manchu, in the pre-hero DCs of the 1930s relied much upon such themes in attracting readers. The pub. 
the pulp magazines, which preceded comic books and from which the new medium drew much of its creative force, were, notor- were notorious for their exploitation of the horrific and the, ter- and the terrific in their stories. These magazines can trace their thematic roots to the works of classic writers like Edgar Allan Poe, Jules Verne, Bram Stoker, Marquise de Sade, and even William Shakespeare. In attempting to answer the question of the origin of horror comics, we must first define the term. I've grappled with the need for such a definition for some time now and present this one for your consideration. My definition of a horror comic has three parts. A horror comic is a comic book meeting the following three requirements. One, the horror comic contains exclusively or predominantly a story or stories whose primary purpose is to scare, shock, and or fascinate the reader. Two, the stories involved in the horror comic achieve the purpose or achieve the purpose described in part one by using plot elements involving the supernatural, the macabre, and or the evil side of human nature. Three, the stories involved cannot be more accurately described as science fiction, crime, jungle, superhero, or humor stories. The three parts of this de- definition require explanation. Some of the stipulations may strike you as odd. The definition is specifically designed to eliminate confusion arising from the many hybrid genres which flowered in the 1950s. One is easy to understand. Horror comics are supposed to scare or shock you. An anthology-type comic containing one horror story among many others is not a horror comic. On the other hand, a comic book containing one superhero story along with several horror stories might be considered a true horror comic. Timely's transition issue of Captain America, the quite scarce number 74, subtitled Weird Tales, comes immediately to mind. Fascinate covers or Fascinate covers the case of the tamer titles like DC's House of Mystery or ACG's Forbidden Worlds, which were unlikely to shock or scare any reader beyond the age of six, but which were designed to appeal to the reader's sense of the fantastic and wondrous. Whether this was a conscious attempt by the creators involved and whether they ever came close to achieving this effect are, are questions I won't address at this time. Two, requires a little more clarification. The supernatural is the realm of extraworldly phenomena. This covers your ghosts, vampires, and assorted monsters, your curses, incantations, and other real magic and all the other trappings which can't be explained by textbook science. However, not all horror stories are dependent upon supernatural elements. The macabre, as I define it, covers classic plot elements like deserted graveyards, creepy houses, murky swamps, eerie mountainsides, dark forests, mysterious inns, wizened old mans, predatory screaming, uh, predatory scheming women, mentally deranged children, in parentheses, fake magic and magicians, and much, much more. Some of the best horror stories ever written have depended exclusively upon such completely natural devices. Remember the first time you saw Psycho? Hard to believe there was nothing supernatural or otherwise inexplicable in that movie, eh? The evil, side of the, the evil side of human nature applies to the horror stories dependent upon criminality for their effect. Some of these comics may arguably be classified as crime comics. Titles like Stories, Fight Against Crime, and Ribbages, rib, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm saying that wrong, Crime Smashers are on the borderline of both genres. Three, is specifically designed to exclude numerous 1950s titles, which contained many of the elements of horror comics described in parts one and two, but which were self-evidently not horror comics. Comics like Stars, Terrors of the Jungle, and Terrifying Tales even had horrific titles, but these were clearly jungle stories disguised with the trappings of horror. Atlas titles like Astonishing, Journey into the Un- into Unknown Worlds, and Space Squadron walked a fine line between horror and science fiction. 
Some early issues of EC's Mad had horrific Kurtzman covers, but then were clearly intended to be humorous parodies of horror cliches. Part three of my definition allows me to reclassify comics, which simply don't deserve to be called horror comics, into other genres. Sure, it's possible to... It's possible such reclassifications might be considered arbitrary, but it's my definition, so I guess it's fair that I get to write the rules. Most importantly, the above definition excludes all comics which would be better classed as superhero comics. This eliminates the output of Golden Age publishers like Timely, Fox, Fiction House, Centaur, Quality, MLJ, and others who publish stories about superheroes in constant combat with sinister scientists, insane killers, and other horrific villains and bad guys. To be honest, this is a big relief for me. As a collector of horror comics, I feel obligated to buy every example of the genre, and I can live without having to search for hundreds of very expensive comics from the Golden Age. Armed with my above definition, I feel prepared to offer the following uh, chronology of the birth and infancy of the horror comic. The end of of World War II may be considered one of the many factors influencing the development of the horror comic. Up until the war ended in mid-1945, comic book readers were enthralled by the adventures of superhumans, most of whom were fighting the forces of Nazi Germany, fascist Italy, and imperial Japan. The end of the war caught many of these superheroes and their publishers by surprise, it would seem. With the dictators and their colorful underlings vanquished, super beings like Captain America and Captain Marvel were left to flex their mighty muscles against ordinary gangsters and minor local menaces. This gets tedious real fast. The result was that the superhero genre went into a real tailspin beginning in late 1945. By 1947, many dozens of superhero titles had been canceled. Marvel's entire lineup was gone as as such heavy hitters as the Cap, Human Torch, and Submariner went into comic limbo. Shortly thereafter, DC's huge cast of all-stars was reduced to the big three, Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman. The surviving comics publishers began experimenting with alternative subject matter for comic books. The years between 1946 and 1949 are fascinating for the breadth, if not the quantity, of their comic output. Publishers introduced subject matters like romance, western, crime, espionage, adventure, exploration, teen humor, funny animal, comedy, and many other themes into the comic book medium. Strange Strange anthology comics came into being, which included under the same covers, the silly antics of anthropomorphic cartoon characters alongside serious crime dramas and fantastic quasi-superhero adventures. It seems inevi- inevitable that the search for a s- successful subject to replace superheroes in the comics medium would lead inexorably to the development of the horror comic. That development is outlined chronologically below. Zero, early 1946, Levi's, or Levy's, Yellow Jacket number seven and number eight. These publications do not meet the definition of quote unquote horror comic presented earlier. Yellow Jacket was one of those superhero anthology titles mentioned above, and it ran eight issues in the late 40s. The last two installments of the title contained a short horror story narrated by a creepy old witch, quote unquote host type character, in a feature entitled Tales of Terror. The striking similarity between this feature and the Old Witch Host and Tales of Terror title introduced four years later by the ultimate horror publisher, EC Publications, requires me to mention these obscure comics as the primordial root of pre-code horror. Continuing research may uncover even more primitive uh, antecedents. Uh, Anyone out there know of any? One, 
late 1946, Avon's Eerie, number one. This is the first horror comic book, by my definition. It was also one of the publisher's first comic publications. Avon was a well-known publisher of fantasy and potboiler paperbacks, and the company later successfully adapted many of their books into comic editions. Eerie was a quote-unquote one-shot, only one issue published. Avon adapted many of their paperbacks into one-shot comic book form. However, Eerie was probably not intended as a one-shot since the Indicia mentions quarterly publication. This implies that the reception to Eerie number one was not warm. Perhaps Avon was a bit premature in publishing a horror comic one year after World War II had ended to sell to youngsters addicted to Nazi-fighting Superman. The cover of Eerie Number 1 remains, in my opinion, one of the best horror comic covers of all time, in its depiction of a beautiful, exotic woman, bound, of course, to be consistent with Avon's paperback tradition, about to be menaced by a very non-stereotypical knife-wielding vampire. What makes the cover particularly striking is that the company, as a brand new comics publisher, had no tradition or history in comic book cover design and therefore came up with something very novel and startling. Avon revived the Eerie title with a new number one in 1951 and ran it successfully for 17 issues. But this later incarnation was simply not as, well, Eerie as its predecessor. Two. Mid-1948, ACG's Adventures into the Unknown, number one. This is the first continuing horror comic. In fact, it continued for quite a long while. 61 pre-code issues, along with 113 post-code issues, for a grand total of 174 comics. AITU didn't go belly up until mid-1967. The American comic group survived the advent of the comics code because the company's output was exceedingly tame by 1950s horror comic standards. In fact, ACG's rather inspired letter columns would specifically criticize the output of more extreme and more interesting publishers like EC. Interesting, <laughs> interestingly, ACG tested the waters of extremism in horror with a one-shot title called the Clutching Hand, in 1954. This title had all the superficial shock value and graphic gore characterizing EC without possessing any of the style and sophistication which made EC so memorable. Even though any fool could recognize the ACG color scheme, cover design, and interior style of The Clutching Hand, the publisher cautiously omitted any mention of its company name in the comic. Apparently, the response was was not impressive, as the title left but one issue. ACG's most impressive horror output was its earliest. The covers of the first 15 issues of Adventures into the Unknown bear well-done depictions of moody crypts, creepy skeleton islands, uh, terrifying monsters, and terrified victims. Some were drawn by Al Feldstein who later contributed greatly to the success of EC. Uh, By 1952, ACG had settled into a rut of boring, cartoony covers and tedious, uninteresting, and unenthusiastically produced stories. 
Their letter columns are some of the best cures for insomnia I've ever found. ACG tried hard and was the second most prolific publisher of pre-code horror after Atlas, but I can't help feeling that it, that it is philosophically unjust for this company to be credited for the first continuing horror comic. 3. Mid-1948, EC's Moon Girl, number 5. This comic is not a horror comic, but it does contain the first horror story by EC Publications, the legendary producer of the very best horror comics of the era. Indeed, of some of the best comics printed up to this very day. EC's first full horror comic, Crypt of Terror, number 17, is discussed below. That issue began what EC called the quote-unquote new trend in comics. The folks at EC clearly understood the significance of the popularity of this new genre among comic readers, and the company was the only comics publisher specifically to refer to and to define this trend in print. EC had existed for several years prior to the start of the new trend, and its output in those days is known as pre-trend. In the pre-trend days, EC experimented with an un- unspectacular hodgepodge of Western crime, romance, humor, and pseudo-superhero comics. Moon Girl was an example of the last. In the course of these experiments, EC repeatedly dabbled in horror. In Moon Girl number 4, the superheroine is pitted against a vampire. Zombie Terror in number five is the first real, quote-unquote, horror story from EC in that the Moon Girl character does not make an appearance. Experimental EC horror stories also appeared in the last two issues of the crime comics War Against Crime and Crime Patrol in 1949. At this point, EC had finally determined that horror was selling and selling big. And these two were retitled and converted into horror titles, The Legendary Crypt of Terror and Vault of Horror. 4. Early 1949. Atlas's Amazing Mysteries, number 32. This title was a continuation of the Golden Age Submariner title. Atlas was the publishing name Marvel Comics went under in the 1950s, after having been known as Timely in the 1940s. This is Marvel slash Atlas's first horror comic which is fairly significant since Atlas was far and away the most prolific producer of pre-code horror in the 1950s. For reasons unknown, Amazing Mysteries ran only two issues as a horror comic, was converted into a crime comic for two more installments, and then it was canceled. Atlas canceled, revived, and transformed lots of its titles in these days, and motivations for such uh, machinations were, are lost on the, in the midst of time. Eventually, Atlas must have determined that both crime and horror were profitable as the publisher revived its entire line by exploiting these two subjects heavily. The estimable, estimable, sorry, estimable, golden age title Marvel Mystery was converted to horror and renamed Marvel Tales with number 93, mid-1949. And even the last two issues of the golden age Captain America title were transformed into horror comics in late 1949. Issues 74 and 75 are known as Captain America's Weird Tales, and Cap suffered the ultimate indignity of being ejected completely out of his own title in the latter issue. As the Human Torches title had become Love Tales with number 36, the massacre of the Golden Age Marvel superheroes became complete. They put an exclamation point on that one. They were yelling that one at us. Uh, Atlas's lineup of horror, crime, western, war, romance, and teen humor titles were tremendously successful in the early 1950s. One has to consider whether Atlas would 
ever have returned to superheroes if it had been allowed to continue exploiting these subjects indefinitely. I'll leave it to modern Marvel fans to muse over whether the coming of the much maligned comics code may be credited with the rebirth of the Marvel superheroes uh, fans know and love today. Number five, early 1950 EC's Crypt of Terror number 17. Vault of Horror number 12 came out the same month, but in this cycle, EC maintained, I believe, Crypt always preceded Vault. Both these titles bore issue numbers continued from uh, predecessory non-horror comics. Crypt of Terror marks the birth of EC Horror, an event of transcendent importance as far as serious fans of comics are concerned. EC's legendary reputation among comic readers is well-deserved. This company published more quality work in the all-too-brief four years of its reign as the premier comic publisher of the era than much larger companies came close to generating over decades of production. I have to think, though, that they were probably paying... Maybe not, and I'm sure it maybe you'll go into it, but I, ha- I kind of have to, and this is not written, uh, this is my sort of, um, throwing my opinion out there, I feel like these publishers were probably um, printing on cheaper material, um, they were probably paying, at least, maybe not for the entirety of it, but for a lot of it, they were probably paying their artists and writers a lot less, but probably had a lot, a lot less restrictions on the creative process and sort of, you know, what they can or can't do. I feel like it was, I know that I've read things about Steve Ditko get taken huge pay cuts to do things like this um, because he was happier with these publishers. Cause again, it was less corporate sort of oversight um, than, you know, what you could do with these. But anyway, back to it. EC was the first publisher to challenge its readers with sophisticated non-juvenile fare it was the first to offer non-trivial letter columns to deal with serious issues like racism, religious discrimination, drugs, the waste of war, and the problem of juvenile delinquency, and the first to foster an intimacy of sorts between the people who produced the comics and the, those who read them. While the company's horror comics were less socially conscious and more exploitative than its science fiction, shock, and war titles, EC's excellence here was still very evident. EC's horror comics can be easily distinguished from the mass output of every single competing publisher by three key factors. One, EC had the best writers and artists in the business. While the writers would sometimes succumb to formula plots, even their worst efforts were better than most of the competitors' best because they were superior in the relating even of a formula story. EC artwork, <clears throat> excuse me, EC artwork remains some of the best ever put on the paper in comic book form, in my continuing efforts to rank the 20 best pre-code horror stories, I find it supremely difficult to select fewer than 12 EC stories. Impressive considering that EC produced less than 3% of all horror comics printed in the 1950s. 2. EC had a rapport with the reader unmatched by any other publisher. EC readers knew the names of every artist, while most other publishers had a policy of not allowing artists to sign their work. EC included credits in every letter column and ran full-page meet-the-artist features in their comics. Through the letter columns and EC-sponsored fan clubs, readers were able to develop a strong attachment to the people at EC as friends. You may see an element of this approach to marketing and everything we do at New England Comics. Hey, we don't deny the influence. 3. EC was the only horror publisher to maintain an element of levity 
in his publications. Reading an EC horror story was like being told a creepy story by a friend. Sure, it might be really frightening, but you knew the person telling the story wasn't trying to terrify you in a nasty way. This intimacy was fostered by EC's three horror hosts, the Crypt Keeper, the Vault Keeper, and the Old Witch. Each host had its own title and made guest appearances in the other two. The hosts virtually never appeared in the stories, but they related the tales, interrupted them occasionally with wisecracks, and always appeared at the finish to relate a sarcastic or punish moral. The hosts were there to remind the reader that these horror tales, as gruesome and frightening as they are, were stories and nothing more. When EC introduced its three horror titles and their hosts, the horror comics steamroller of the 1950s began to re- began to ready... Sorry, my uh, book here is kind of smudged, but it says began to really roll is what it looks like, and that makes the most sense because began to ready roll doesn't make any goddamn sense. An interesting aside, EC feared that the title Crypt of Terror was a bit extreme, and with the fourth issue, number 20, renamed the comics... Wait, <laughs> that that whole numbering thing of like being previous books and all that stuff, that always throws me so far off. I mean, it's crazy. So so it says, easy uh, for the t- Crypt of Terror was a bit extreme, and with the fourth issue, number 40, renamed the comic Tales from the Crypt. This was a major title change since it broke the symmetry maintained by EC's three horror comics, Crypt of Terror, Vault of Horror, and Haunt of Fear. Apparently, EC's editors were concerned that the word terror was particularly graphic and offensive and might cause them trouble with news vendors and parents. It's hard at this point to understand why terror was considered much more troublesome than horror or the weird designation appearing... uh, I've got, sorry, more smudging on the page here. Designation appearing on EC's two science fiction titles, Weird Fantasy and Weird Science. Shout out to Weird Science, whoop whoop. Particularly when Tales from the Crypt continued to display terror boldly on its sidebar. All three words, along with crime, were specifically banned from display on a comic book cover for five years later by the new Comics Code Authority. Next issue, we'll discuss the growth and development of the horror comic phenomenon and the factors leading to the problems which gave birth to the Horror Comics Code and brought about the end of pre-code horror comics. At that time, I'll provide a complete listing of every horror comic title of the 1950s. For now, I offer the list of pre-code horror publishers. And that list is exactly this. Ace, Ajax Farrell, American Comics Group, Atlas, or Marvel, rather, Avon, Charlton, or Capital, Comic Media, DC, EC, Fawcett, Fiction House, Gilmore, or Aragon, or Stanmore, or Key, Harvey, Master Merit, that's one, Master Merit, I guess, PL Publishing, Prize, Quality, Ribbage, or Ribbage, whichever one you want to say, Standard, Star, Sterling, St. John, Story, Superior, Toby, Trojan, Youthful Magazine, and Ziff Davis. Now, before moving on to chapter two of Terrorology, um, it's funny, you know, or interesting, rather, uh, looking at their sort of, you know, reluctance to use the word terror or being scared to use, you know, certain words because of reactions, you know, and it's, it's just, you know, that was, I don't know, I, I can re- kind of relate things to that now, you know. 
um you and it's a lot it's a lot different now but it, and it's a lot more extreme i guess as far as reactions that people have um it, mostly like in i guess social media really and more and just media in general than than just everyday life i guess but like you know it, it's kind of the same deal now people are scared to comedians are scared to tell certain jokes that are jokes and they're meant to be jokes or or parodies of things that even if you can't even if the joke is a sort of i don't know what you'd call it a satire of how ridiculous um you know ideas can be or how ridiculous people's viewpoints can be and it's kind of making fun of that you still can't make the joke about it because you know people on twitter are going to get offended and, and have an outburst and do their whole, you know, um, extreme sort of rage, uh, outrage generation, <laughs> I guess is what I call it. Um, outrage culture, maybe, of everything of, you know, just trying to jump on a bandwagon. Anyway, I, I, it's interesting to see that. Um, but I, I'm curious because it doesn't say that, like, they were getting backlash from parents and whatever groups it's just they were afraid that they would get it so they changed the title uh you know to tales um tales from the crypt as opposed to crypt of terror which is interesting because uh the eerie publications uh which is coming back by the way i'm very excited i've talked about it on twitter before speaking of twitter um that and speaking of twitter yes that my twitter handle is at horror comics pod uh but yeah so they're coming back, but they originally, I can't remember exactly how it went down, but they posted recently that they had uh, back, you know, way back in the day in the 50s, I guess, they had put out a comic called Tales from the Crypt. And of course, it, but it, from what I gathered, and maybe I'm, I'm reading this wrong, from what I gathered, it was at the same time as EC's Tales from the Crypt. And uh, I think there was, you know, legal things going on to change it. But that was just an interesting kind of little tidbit there with that story. But we can go ahead and move on to chapter two of Terrorology from Tales Too Terrible to Tell, number two. This is out of just a reminder from NEC or New England Comics Press. And I want to give all the credit to them for compiling this information and printing it. Because, uh, again, I'm just reading it. Because um, I think it's interesting, and this is a horror comics podcast focusing on uh, mostly, you know, so far on older horror comics um, and the history and the publishers and whatnot. And this is a deep dive into it. So this is something I've been wanting to do for a while, and something I've been compiling to make sure you know, I've been going out to find the physical issues uh, of all of these, so that I could actually read the entire thing. So this is going to be a multi-part type of deal. Um, that will come out, but I'm going to throw, you know, a few of these chapters in each episode until it's done. And then we're going to move on to some really awesome stuff that I found recently that um, I couldn't believe that I found that I'm very excited about that. You know, I, I'm excited. That doesn't mean it's going to be some big title or some insanely rare comic. It's just something I've been wanting to get. And I'll reveal that when we get there. But uh, so we'll go ahead and move on to chapter two, which is subtitled Sound and Fury. One, I'm guessing. Maybe it's Sound and Fury I. I don't know yet. I guess if we get to a Sound and Fury 2, we'll know. So before we get into what they're going to cover here, 
there is some editor's notes here. So in Tales Too Terrible to Tell number one, we discussed the early origins of pre-code horror. My plan was to continue Terrorology at this issue with a discussion of the growth and development of the horror comic phenomenon and the factors leading to the problems which gave birth to the comics code and brought about the end of pre-code horror comics. Before I move on with reading this, I will say these issues did not come out necessarily monthly. Uh, it was every other month or every three months, or it, it, it seemed to, to sort of shift um, here and there. Uh, because from my understanding, they were finding, you know, out of print, uh, very rare and hard to find comics. And then having, not only that, having to find and obtain good scans, you know, or find the best. Because I'm telling you, this, the reprints in here are fantastic. It, it's not like they just photocopied some shit, uh, you know, in terrible quality. No, they, they go out of their way to get top quality, uh, as top quality as you can find, at least, reprints of these. You, I, in fact, I would never think that these were scans or anything. So I, I have to, you know, commend them on that uh, NEC to, uh, for getting those, you know. So, so we can go on now, but I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, it says, however, the majority of our mail, along with conversations or conversation with readers at conventions leads me to believe that fans would most enjoy a general overview of the individual horror comic publishers listed at the end of last issue's terrorology. Always eager to please, I offer this overview of the pre-code horror publishers. Covering all 28 companies will take more space than one issue of Tales Too Terrible to Tell, uh, than to, than more than one issue, uh, can spare for Terrorology. So this overview will continue into the next issue. We'll begin with a complete listing of all pre-code horror titles with the complete history of their issue numbers. Now, we just read that list, so I'm not going to go through it again. Um, but I will say real quick, uh, it, it goes deeper than just this. Um, if I remember correctly, after going kind of going through all of it, um, but they did, you know, which is commendable, they did adhere to kind of what the readers wanted to know. And honestly, this, what I'm doing here, this series of however many episodes it's going to be of going through Terrorology is, is a response that I'm doing uh, to an email that I received. I believe it was from Anthony, um, who mentioned, and a couple of other people too that I've talked to, of like, you know, I really like the history aspect of it more so than the storytelling. So I'm like, you know what? That's cool. I, I, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll delve into that too. So uh, this is that. So I can definitely relate to what they're talking about here. So he did make some changes here uh, to the list and says he, he deleted Master Dash Merit and Ribbage or Ribbage. Uh, they all appear to be other names for story. Uh, he also added Fox, which published one horror comic and Premiere, which published two. Thusly, the count of 28 pre-code horror publishers mentioned elsewhere continues to stand. He's got great illustrations here, great little panels here and there, like mixed in. Um, I, I'm telling you, if you can find these issues, these tales too terrible to tell, I, I highly recommend that this is like if you're into just horror comics as a general blanket sort of statement, you're into horror comics. Um, I feel like this is a must own series and it's a very satisfying collection because it has a beginning and an end and it you know it has a finite amount of issues and it's just 11 issues 
So, you know, if you can, your comic shop, if they have an extensive back history, like, I was surprised that mine had them all. Uh, or not all of them, sorry, that's actually incorrect. Uh, this, eventually they did, they were stocking them. Um, and I was looking at, I have a few places around town that have back issue comics, and one that has new comics, like an actual comic book shop that has brand new comics, and every brand new comic pretty much, and an extensive back issue. And I was able to find over the course of about five, six months, maybe long, actually, no, it's probably been, God damn it, it's been, <laughs> uh, oh no, it's been a year, because um, they have the sale that I've talked about here before, where, you know, things are like 75% off back issues, and I've got like a handful of comics at that sale, and then I picked up one or two here and there when they'd come in, and then, yeah, I, I completed the collection at the sale that just happened a month ago. So yeah, it's been over a year. Um, anyway, God, I'm like, my sense of time is just completely fucked. But yeah, it's a, it's a very satisfying book to collect because it has so much information and so much, and it's comic issues. It's like issues and or different stories rather, not full issues, but different stories from different, you know, horror comics that, uh, were being published that were hard to find. And in between all of that, you get something like Terrorology. You get uh, several pages of horror comic covers from, you know, back in the day. And it's just like, it is just the epitome of love of this genre, of this age of comic horror comics. And it's it's awesome. So highly re- recommend go out and find it. Um, I don't know if they've been collected. I don't know if this company, I think they still exist, maybe. I think, but I, I think they just do the tick. And I could be wrong about that. I should have looked it up beforehand, but we'll see. Actually, I, yeah, I'm looking it up now. And they're basically operating as a comic shop. And they just happen to do the, the tick comic, it seems like, um, as far as I can tell. <laughs> I mean, which is awesome. I think that's really cool. Um, I mean, if my comic shop was producing a comic book, I would buy it for sure. So this is awesome. Um, but yeah, so they're still operational and they're doing the tick, looks like. So um, that's really cool. And uh, yeah, hopefully more will come out. But if you, so if they have a store, like an online store where you can buy these back issues, you know, of uh, Tales Too Terrible, I highly recommend going and buying them. Anyway, we're going to move on here with the with the subject matter. Sorry, I get off on tangents. So I'm not going to go through all of the years and all that stuff. I'm just going to read the titles under the publishers. And they list um, issue numbers that were, you know, pre-code. They also list the issues that were uh, during the code and code approved. I'm not going to talk about those. I'm not going to talk about really any issues, any details of the issues. I'm just going to name the issues under the publisher. So if you're trying to find you know, horror comics to look for or something to collect, you'll, you know, you'll, you'll be able to uh, associate some titles with some publishers maybe. Um, or maybe this is going in one ear and out the other, like it's probably going to do for myself and I'll always have to go back and recheck, but that's okay. It's still here and I can say that we talked about it and I had a blast reading it and here I go. So we've got Ace Comics or just Ace rather. There's no comics or publications. It's Ace, Baffling Mysteries, number 5 through 24. The Beyond, numbers 1 through 30. Challenge of the Unknown, number 6. Hand of Fate, numbers 8 through 26. Web of Mysteries, number 1 through 27. Ace, 
produced or published 98 horror comics in five titles from September of 1950 to March of 1955. American Comics Group. Adventures into the Unknown, numbers 1 through 61. The Clutching Hand, number 1. Forbidden Worlds, number 1 through 34. Out of the Night, numbers 1 through 17. Skeleton Hand, numbers 1 through 6. ACG published 123 horror comics in five titles from fall of 1948 to November of 1954. And again, I'm only reading pre-code horror comics. So if that's what you're wanting to find, you don't have to like worry about like, oh, which one of these are they? Because I'm like, again, I'm not including that. Ajax Feral, or just Ajax as the logo suggests. Fantastic Fears, number seven, eight, and then three through nine. I'm assuming they were renumbered or something. I don't know. Fantastic Comics, numbers 10 and 11. Haunted Thrills, numbers one through 18. Strange Fantasy, number two. And then a number, another number two through 14. Voodoo, number one through 19. And Voodoo Annual, number one. Ajax Farrell published 64 horror comics and six titles from May of 1952 to February of 1955. Now, Atlas which is also Marvel, had, uh, well, they say here, published its titles under a lot of dummy corporations. See the Overstreet Guide for a complete list. This was done for technical legal reasons, and none of these dummy corporate names deserve noting here. Jeez, throwing some shade there. Adventures into Terror, number 43 and 44, and then 3 through 31. Adventures into Weird Worlds, numbers 1 through 30. Amazing Detective Cases, numbers 11 through 14. Amazing Mysteries, number 32 to 33. Astonishing, numbers 3 through 37. Captain America's Weird Tales, number 74 and 75. Journey into Mysteries, numbers 1 through 22. Journey into the Un... Into, sorry, Joni... Joni? Joni! Journey into Unknown Worlds, numbers 36 and 38. And then 4 through 33. Marvel Tales, number 93 to 131. Menace, numbers 1 through 11. Men's Adventures, number 1 through 26. So that's literally just a comic book about dudes sitting around watching TV and drinking beer uh, and talking about all of the... Never mind. Uh, Mystery Tales, numbers 1 through 26. Mystic, number 1 through 36. Spellbound, number 1 through 23. Strange Tales, number 1 through 34. Suspense, number 1 through 29. Uncanny Tales, number 1 through 28. It also has a note here. It is well known among Atlas collectors that the number 57 listed in Overstreet, complete with an Al Williamson credit, no less, does not exist. So that's interesting. You're not going to get a number 57 because it did ex- it did go on under pre-code from 29 to 56, but then I guess they created but never released a number 57 with Al Williamson, of all people. We have Venus, number 12 through 19. Atlas published 399 comics in 18 titles from May 1949 to March of 1955. So if they had just released Uncanny Tales number 57, they would have had an exact 400. But how could they have known? Avon, City of the Living Dead. And, okay, so this doesn't have issue numbers. I'm not sure why. He probably detailed it late or earlier. Uh, but this is what I'm going with. So, you know. Here it is. Avon, City of the Living Dead, The Dead Who Walk, Diary of Horror, Eerie, number one, Eerie, num- or sorry, yeah, Eerie, number one, and then I guess retitling number one through 17, or renumbering, rather. Um, it was a few years later, so that's interesting. That's very, very odd. Okay, that's something I need to look into there. 
because it says January of 47 and then May of 51 through September of 54. So that's that's something else. Maybe that's that whole... Well, that's Avon, though. And then Eerie was under... Anyway, that's something else. Night of Mystery, Phantom Witch Doctor, Secret Diary of Eerie Adventures number one, Witchcraft number one through six. Avon published 30 horror comics and eight titles from January of 1947 to September of 1954. Charlton, Strange Suspense Stories, number 16 through 22. This is Suspense, number 23. Thing, number 1 through 17. This Magazine is Haunted, number 15 through 21. That's something that I want. I want that. Uh, that comic is one that I've been trying to sort of track down in person. I think it's going to be impossible at this point, given my resources here, but I will find it. Char- uh, Charlton published 32 horror comics and four titles from February of 1952 to February of 1955. Comic Media, Horrific, numbers 1 through 13. Terrific, number 14. It's the same series there. Uh, Weird Terror, number 1 through 13. Comic Media published 27 horror comics and three titles from September of 1952 to December of 1954. Now we have DC Comics, House of Mystery, number 1 through 35. Sensation Comics, number 1... 107 to 109 and then it changed to sensation mystery at 110 through 116 dc published 45 horror comics in three titles from december 1951 to february of 1955 ec comics uh, sorry had to had to drink to ec crypt of terrors number 17 through number 17 through 19 then it changed to tales from the crypt number 20 through 46 Haunt of Fear, number 15 through 17, and then 4 through 28. Tales of Terror, annual number 1, number 2, number 3. And it seems like those annuals were just reprints uh, with a bunch of different EC comics in them. 3D Tales from the Crypt of Terror, number 2. Issue number 1, entitled Three Dimensional EC Classics, despite a horror cover and horror cover blurbs, is not a horror comic. Well, that's bullshit. Vault of Horror, number 12 through 40. EC published 91 horror comics in six titles from April of 1950 to March of 1955. That's fucking awesome. 91. Fawcett. Beware, Terror Tales, number one through eight. Strange Suspense Story. How many fucking comic book publishers had a book called Strange Suspense Stories? Number one through five. Oh, okay. So it was picked up by Charlton after Fawcett. That's what's going on here. Okay. Unknown World, number one. Then it changes to Strange Stories from Another World, number two through five. This magazine is haunted, number one through 14. Then under Carlton, Char- Charlton uh, later. So Worlds Beyond, number one. Then changed to Worlds of Fear, two through nine. Fawcett published 41 horror comics in s- seven titles from October 1951 to December of 1953. Fiction House. Ghost Comics, numbers 1 through 11. The Monster, numbers 1 and 2. Fiction House p- published 13 horror comics in two titles from 1951 to 1954. I've never heard of that one, so that may be something to look for. Fox, a star presentation, number 3. This comic contains an adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which was later reprinted in Star's Startling Terror Tales, number 10. This is a horror comic. But if you ask me why I include this and none of the classic illustrated adaptations of famous horror stories, well, he's still trying to figure out, apparently. Uh, Fox published one horror comic in May of 1950. Our next publisher, Gilmore, is somewhat of a biggie, so rather than split the information up, we'll run, run it in its entirety, along with Harvey through Ziff Davis in our next installment of Terror... 
All right. And our next installment of Terrorology and Tales to... Okay, so we're going to go to the next chapter here. That's the end of it. They just... They could have... Yeah. I guess people that were reading this um, as it was coming out were having to wait three months to get the next issue, but... uh, Or however long. So, anyway, that's the end of Chapter 2. And um, that's a pretty awesome, like, comprehensive list of, of titles there. I mean... I'm having a hard time. This came out in 1991, and I think this is even a reprint that I have. Um, I've researched that I've looked up for like covers uh, of these issues. I'm coming across different covers, and so um, it seems like these are reprints. So, I, you know, I think these, uh, I know I've talked about it here before, but now I can't remember. I think these started in like the late 80s and then were reprinted here in 91. So, I mean, the research that they put into these publishers and these comics they put out very impressive to me. But we'll go ahead and move on to chapter three, which is titled, answering my question, Sound and Fury 2. So we're just picking up here with Gilmore or Aragon Key, Stanmore Media. Mr. Miracle, number one through 19. Weird Chills, numbers one through three. Weird Mysteries, numbers one through 12. Weird Tales of the Future, number one through eight. Gilmore published 42 horror comics in four titles from September 1951 to November of 1954, most of them with the word weird in the title. Now, Harvey Comics got Black Cat Mystery, numbers 30 through 53. It was formerly Black Cat Comics. Number 21 uh, has a witch on the cover, but contents are straight superhero. So that's interesting. They're literally just trying to sell the comic. Despite, you know, someone might be disappointed and never buy that comic again. Business is interesting. Chamber of Chills, numbers 1 through 24. And then again, 5 through 26. Tomb of Terror, numbers 1 through 16. And then it changed to Thrills of Tomorrow, numbers 17 and 18. And those two were just reprints of earlier issues. Witches Tales, numbers 1 through 28. It becomes Witches Western Tales for 29 and 30. Harvey published 96 horror comics in five titles from January of 1951 to December of 1954. That's awesome as well. It's 96 horror comics. Jesus. Now, this is interesting because this is PL is the name of the publisher. Their logo is the... Um, actually, the next one is the logo, too. Okay, so the DC Comics Bullet logo. If you know what I'm talking about, it's the circle and then it says say dc comics or whatever and it has the two stars on the side uh and then another circle and within that is the two letters these next two completely ripped that off that's fucking awesome uh and are very interesting rather but yeah so approved comics or pl they're both on the logo so i don't know what that means i don't know what pl stands for so we have weird adventures which i have to think gilmore maybe sued them for uh weird adventures numbers one through three number one is credited as an xl publishing pl published three horror comics in one title from may of 1951 to october 1951 and with another dc bullet logo pm which is for premiere comics it says and around that logo is a premiere comic horror from the tomb number one and then it changed to mysterious stories number two Number three through seven were code approved. We don't talk about those. Premier published two horror comics in two titles from September of 1954 to December of 1954. Now we have Prize Group 
our prize. Black Magic. I don't know why it says V1. I guess Volume 1. Maybe they're just literally taking how they were coded. I don't know. That's interesting. But Black Magic V1, numbers 1 through 33. Frankenstein, number 18 through 33. Prize published 49 horror comics in two titles from October of 1950 to December of 1954. Quality Comics or a Quality Comic Publication. Intrigue, number 1. Web of Evil, number 1 through 21. Quality published 22 comics from uh, November of 52 to January of 55. Standard Comics. Adventures into Darkness, number 5 through 14. Fantastic Worlds, number 5 through 7. Lost Worlds, 5 through 6. Out of the Shadows, 5 through 14. Unseen, 5 through 15. Standard published 36 horror comics in five titles from June of 52 to July of 54. Star Comics. Blue Bolt Weird Tales, number 111 through 119. Then changes to Ghostly Weird Stories, number 120 through 124. Spook, number 23 through 29. Sorry, I think that's right. Yeah, sorry. Again, more smudging on these issues. It's Some of these issues that I have seem very used and almost like they have water, mar- like water stains rather on them. So I'm, sometimes I have to read through it. Like someone set their fucking drink on top of this. Like, what, what were you doing? Even in, what, 91, you knew not, not to do that. Anyway, it happens. Uh, most issues can, yeah, it's 22 through 29. But most issues contain a new horror story padded with crime reprints, borderline horror title at best. But it's still called Spook. Hmm. Startling Terror Tales, numbers 10 through 14, and then 4 through 11. Star published 34 horror comics in four titles from November of 51 to September of 54. Sterling, The Tormented, numbers 1 and 2 which were the only books they published from July of 54 to September of 54. St. John, All Picture Adventures, number one. Giant-sized reprint with three rebound comics at 25-cent cover price. House of Terror 3D, number one. Strange Terrors 1 through 7. 6 and 7 are 25-cent giants. Weird Horrors 1 through 9. Then changes to Nightmare, number 10 through 13. And then changes again to Amazing Stories, or Amazing Ghost Stories, rather, number 14 through 16. Nightmare number three. To add to the confusion, St. John also published the last issue of Ziff Davis's Nightmare title. St. John published 26 comics, horror comics, in seven titles from June of 52 to February of 55. Story, Dark Mysteries 1 through 22, Fight Against Crime 1 through 21, and it becomes Fight Against the Guilty for 22 and 23. Mysterious Adventures 1 through 23. Story published 66 horror comics in three titles from March of 1951 to 1955. Superior. Just one adventure into fear. Number one. Listed in Overstreet as published in 1951. Does not exist. Trust me. Journey into Fear. Numbers 1 through 21. Mysteries. Weird and Strange. 1 through 11. Strange Mysteries, 1 through 21. Superior published 53 horror comics in three titles from May of 1951 to January of 55. And now we have Toby, or Minowin. Minowin Magazine, I guess. It's got like a ram skull as the logo, a very simple ram skull. Or not even skull, it's just the head of a ram. Very weird. Never heard of this one either. Purple Claw. Well, I mean, we've talked about Purple Claw on the last episode, so I, that fucked me. Uh, Purple Claw 1 through 3, Tales of Horror, not Tour, Tales of Horror 1 through 13, Tales of Terror number 1, canceled after Bill Gaines of EC complained that the title violated EC's copyright on its Tales of Terror annual. 
Toby published 17 horror comics in three titles from 1952 to night. Well, it just says 1952 to October of 1954. So maybe the first issue was not known. So we have Trojan Beware, uh, Beware number 13 through 16, and then 5 through 14, and then continued as Merit's Beware number 15 for one code approved issue. So fuck that one. I can't say that. I've talked about code approved issues on this show. So. I'm a hypocrite for that. Trojan published 14 horror comics in one title from January of 53 to March of 55. Now we're here at Youthful. Fantastic, number eight through nine, formerly Captain Science. Title changes to Beware, night, or number 10 through 12. Title changes to Chilling Tales, 13 through 17. Youthful published, God, these water stains, or whatever it is that's going on here. Youthful published... 10 horror comics in three titles from February 1952 to October 1953. Ziff Davis, our final one. Amazing Adventures 1 through 5. Eerie Adventures number 1. Nightmare number 1 through 2. Then continues as St. John's Nightmare number 3. Weird Adventures number 10. Weird Thrillers number 1 through 5. Ziff Davis published 14 horror comics in five titles from 1950 to winter 1953. Altogether, the above listing encompasses 28 companies publishing 1,450 horror comics scattered among 119 titles, average 12-plus comics per title. From January 1947 to March of 1955, a period of 99 months, or an average production of 14.5 comics per month. Actually, the average zooms up to over 50 per month if we consider only the hottest period, 1951 through 1954. A recap, ranked in order of output. I'm actually not going to go through that <laughs> because that's uh, that's just pointless and that's just more dates and whatnot. Um, basically, Atlas slash Marvel put out the most at 399 with, through 18 titles from May of 49 to March of 55. So they also go on to rank the these pre-code publishers um, by when how early they got on the bandwagon and Avon actually is the earliest at January of 1947, then ACG in 48, Atlas in 49, EC in 50, Fox in 50, Ace and Prize and Ziff Davis in 50, Harvey, Story, PL, Superior, Gilmore, Fawcett, Star, DC, and Fiction House all came on in 51, uh, Charlton, Youthful, Ajax Farrell, Standard, St. John, Comic Media, Quality, and Toby, were in 52, we had Trojan in 53, and then Sterling and Premier in 54. Worth, no- worth noting from the above is the fact that most publishers jumped on the bandwagon in 51 or 52. Remarkably, only three new pre-code horror publishers started production from 53 and on, and all three were trivial forces in the industry. Considering the huge success of horror in the world of comics during these years, I find it surprising that more uh, Johnny Come Lately's didn't come along in the years in the later years. I suspect that the glut on the market was so extreme that newsstand rack room for a new publisher's output was simply non-existent. There's no point in publishing comic books if you can't sell them. This concludes our general overview of the pre-code horror publishers. Research credit for some of the information presented above goes to uh, Billy Devine or Devine, maybe esoteric. <clears throat> Sorry, esoteric comic collector extraordinaire. So that wraps up chapter three, and that's actually going to wrap up 
this episode. Uh, I think I've kept you long enough, but I will have the next, I guess, part two, which hopefully isn't confusing because I'm not, because they are in different chapters and whatnot. But either way, if anyone who's not familiar with it, I don't think it'll matter. But thank you again so much for for listening to the show. Uh, if you interact with me on Twitter or email, I, I really appreciate that. It's it's awesome to see uh, people interested in uh, this this time period for horror comics and just comics in general. But you know, obviously here horror comics. Um, I to me this the history here is so interesting. I think the onset of the comics code and like the whole you know, thing, the whole thing that, I'm, that one I will get to, but all of that sort of investigation and going public and that whole agenda against horror comics is, is so interesting and on a bunch of different levels, not even just in, to do with comics. Um, we've seen similar s- things come up in, uh, at least in my lifetime. I'm 32. Um, so, you know, I, Obviously, <laughs> I I don't know uh, I don't know the full history of things like this, um, but things that I can relate to is you know I remember um, things like after Columbine, um, after nine eleven. Uh, these were these were times in which or events rather that led to I don't know, more sensitive kind of. Uh, pushback on on certain music mainly columbine was the more so i guess columbine's the more the one that you can that they really directed uh, 9-11 probably although that did affect uh media in the sense of like music and whatnot because there were a couple of albums that came on like came out like that day that like depicted uh the two towers being blown up which is fucking weird that's a whole other rabbit hole that i don't even want to even try to think about but like um specifically columbine uh, they tr- they they made it about like music and i think video games and they targeted like marilyn manson um you know putting the blame on stuff like that as opposed to there's so many factors so it's not you can't even just say like oh bad parenting like that's a big part of it um uh, you know not even not even bad parenting i just think parenting is hard but like there's so many factors that don't even get to media consumption uh the basic understanding of right and wrong and uh guilt and 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 moral uh, stances, and I don't even mean moral in a religious sense, but moral in the sense of like I don't want to treat people like shit or view them as less than you know humans, and and you know I want I want to be kind to people. Like that's a whole other spectrum, and the comics code sort of took that argument that they had for something like Columbine, where they attacked music like Marilyn Manson and like Slipknot. It was like it was it was always like harder rock or metal or whatever um anybody that had like any kind of violent imagery imagery or like satanic quote unquote however that's a broad statement or word to use but they they threw it on things like that the weird and the the kind of just like out there macabre sort of artist um that used you know darker imagery or lyrics or whatever um even though any of them will 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 tell you or you can see interviews of them being like this 
we're not advocating anyone doing anything bad. And generally, like when you hear something like that with those violent lyrics, it's usually in context, me is about something else completely. Um, not always, I guess, you know, there's some death metal out there with some crazy lyrics about violence. And, but even those bands will be like, look, it's literally a joke because you can't understand what we're saying. So we're just throwing words together that we think are funny. Regardless, Marilyn Manson wasn't banned from record stores. Uh, Cannibal Corpse wasn't banned from record stores. Uh, Slipknot wasn't banned from record. You know, in the list goes on and on. Slayer wasn't banned from being in record stores. At least if they were, I missed it. But it couldn't have lasted very long. But like this movement for for the comics code, this fucking destroyed people's careers. This, I mean, like publisher on a publisher level. This ended publishers completely. Publishers like EC, like that's a hard hitter. Um, obviously, companies like Avon that went on to be Marvel and whatnot could could move on and and do other things in DC as well. But you know, DC, as far as I have what I've read, even before pre code, they didn't really, you know, push the push the limits of what you can do, like something like creepy. Um, or even tells from the crypt and that kind of stuff. Like, um, obviously easy too. But and everybody else, it's just like it's it's crazy. Like the times and how they're different. They um they were they managed to pretty much ban these comics, um, and then other publishers were willing to conform to the code, obviously and whatnot. Um, but you know some weren't. They they stuck by what they. We're doing, and it's a shame because you did have, you know, um, weird fantasy and like different EC books that that did push uh, really, really great sort of social commentary that was not popular in the mainstream at that time. Um, at a time when, you know, the mainstream sort of publishing and and, and media was very racist and uh, wouldn't allow the hero of a you know a comic book story. Uh, to be uh, a person of color. And, um, you know, that there's, I've talked about that before already, but it was a crazy time. It really, really was. Um, it's just interesting that they, they, they were able to get away with bandit, banning, um, you know, these, these themes and these ideas. And, uh, and now you can pretty much get on Netflix and within a couple of minutes find something. 50 times more gruesome uh and and you know even at the time you could probably open up a newspaper or turn on the news and hear worse things um so yeah banning things like this is an interesting topic like that can fold over into uh you know youtube where you know or, or facebook or twitter or whatever well they they will ban certain political uh conversation or agendas and i'm not saying like those things that are those people that are banned are right or wrong by any stretch of the imagination. I'm just saying it's funny to ban people like that when you allow other very violent political things like calling for people being beheaded because they believe in something or, or, you know, like calling for violence against say like the president, which I'm not making a statement in defense of him, but like, you know, posting a video or a picture of like holding his, severed head uh, you know you can allow that but you're not going to allow somebody that just isn't um 
I guess, part of whatever party Twitter is part of. Anyway, I don't want to get political by any means. I'm just saying, like, the idea of banning certain content or, 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 or speech or ideas or storytelling or entertainment um, within, obviously, I'm talking about within reasonable um, obviously, there's very illegal shit that's terrible that goes on the internet um, that that is harmful physically to people. Um, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. Obviously, we're talking about entertainment. We're talking about political ideas and that stuff being banned. Is is uh, it's it's a slippery slope, you know, um, and it's something that we don't have to really deal with now in comic books and horror comics. You can pretty much do what you want in a comic book uh, to your publishers. Um, sort of limits, I guess, and the ratings and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, it's I've a long-winded way of saying I've always thought this was interesting, and I'm 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 glad that I have an outlet now to talk about it, and and uh, that you're here to uh, listen and maybe reminisce, or or maybe even if you're learning something new or you're hearing about new titles that you can go out and pick up, like I mentioned earlier, that's awesome. But anyway. Um, please feel free to email at horrorcomicspodcast at gmail.com and then like I said before on Twitter at horrorcomicspod feel free to you know message or email or whatever about anything and I, like I said before I, I, I always read show mail on the show and reply to it on the show it always leads to fun conversation or, or analysis or whatever and I usually learn something new from it so um, alright so until the next episode with more terrorology, thank you all for being here. And until next time, please stay creepy and keep reading those horror comics. <laughs>